Welcome to AJHP Voices, now comprising interviews on contemporary pharmacy issues and discussions with AJHP authors. The service was formerly known as AJHP Podcasts. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. This is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices, speaking with Dr. Michael Cohen, president of the Institute for Safe Medication Practices. As was noted in the January 15, 2014 issue of AJHP, ISMP is celebrating its 20th anniversary as a nonprofit patient safety organization. Dr. Cohen is a graduate of Temple University School of Pharmacy in Philadelphia. And before his work with ISMP, he had experience in clinical pharmacy services at Temple University Hospital, and he had served as director of pharmacy at Quakertown Community Hospital. He's received many accolades for his work in patient safety, including being recognized by Modern Healthcare Magazine on four occasions as one of the 100 most powerful people in U.S. healthcare. Mike, thank you very much for taking time to have this conversation with me. You know, I'd like to note that you began making your mark as a strong advocate for improving medication use safety when you started your monthly column on medication errors in the journal Hospital Pharmacy nearly 40 years ago now. What's been the source of your passion, your inspiration for this long-standing, outstanding work? Well, thank you, Bill. Well, I'm a pharmacist, so like my colleagues in pharmacy, uh, you know, the first thing in our mind is to uh, keep patients safe from harm from medication. So that has been a driving force for me almost since the beginning, actually predates the uh, beginning of the medication error column in uh, 75. Mm -hmm. And I had a strong clinical background as well. I practiced right out of school just about after a few weeks of orientation. I practiced on a 56-bed men's surgical ward, so worked directly with the doctors and nurses and, you know, saw a lot on my own, you know, recognized there really was a need to address so many of these things. It just seemed like they were pretty easily reversible. A lot of the product issues, for example, or practice issues just seemed like there could be an easy fix if we tried. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that the website for ISMP really shows an impressive array of activities focused on medication safety. Broadly speaking, what are the main activities of ISMP? Sure. Well, uh, obviously, the Medication Error Reporting Program is our flagship quote-unquote product. Actually, it's something that we've conducted on our own as part of our overall advocacy. And that really enables people to tell us their uh, stories, uh, share information about errors that have happened or hazardous conditions they're aware of. And they really do it out of altruism. They want to turn that information around to protect others. So that's a big part of our website. And then, of course, we have a lot of educational activities, publications that are on there, a lot of guidelines that we've put together with our peers. We do a lot of advocacy with uh, FDA and other governmental agencies. That's part of it as well. And we have, you know, other uh, areas that link to patient information and drug information. We have a consumer website. That's a big part of it as well. We do consulting after there's been a serious error. We do proactive consulting as well. We do a lot of answering of questions from the field. And we do have a section called Meters, which does reviews of uh, pending products for uh, trademarks, packaging and labeling safety, et cetera. 
So that's been a big part of what we do as well. You know, as far as organization, we have about 30 people. We have four fellows, including one that's sponsored by FDA. We also have a group here that has a leadership role, which is a couple of nurses, two pharmacists, including myself and Alan Veda, and we have a medical director as well, Dr. Russ Jenkins. Mm-hmm. So as a nonprofit organization, you have a governing board of some type. Could you comment on that just a little bit? Sure. We are governed by a board of trustees, and from the beginning, we've always tried to have the board reflect the uh, healthcare community. So we have some people from acute care, community We have deans of nursing and pharmacy. We have physicians, obviously pharmacists, nurses. It really is a pretty even uh, representation of the healthcare community that oversees what we're doing. We have some patient safety experts as well. Well, ISMP has had just uh, an astonishing number of achievements over the years. If I asked you to name two or three that have had a particularly large impact on improving patient safety, what would you list? Well, definitely the medication error reporting program that started years ago, and you know it's been a big component. We ran it with USP for a long time, and about five, six years ago, we took over the program ourselves. And then the newsletters that tie to that as well. We have five different newsletters that you know we publish. The acute care is every two weeks, so a lot of the ASHP members get that. I think we pretty much reach every hospital in the country with that. And the concept of high alert drugs and tall man letters, you know, things that I think have helped to uh, focus our attention on some of the areas that we could improve upon. And just finding overall system solutions, that whole focus that we've had that you can't just rely on education, although that's important, it's not enough, or rely on people always doing the right thing. Unfortunately, that often doesn't happen for whatever reason, Not often not uh, an individual's fault. But what kinds of things can either prevent DR or attenuate it in some way so that it won't be uh, harmful to the patient. Okay. Well, you know, as we think about what's been going on over the past 20 years, really in all facets of healthcare, there's been an immense amount of attention focused on reducing medical errors. And with respect to medication errors specifically, Mike, uh, how much progress has been made? And is there some sort of reliable, objective measure of progress in this area? Yeah, I, I guess being around in healthcare for so many years now, I probably have a different view of it than others. But I think it's been pretty astounding how many improvements have been made overall. Uh, first of all, in the area of the products that we use, that's a big component of medication errors or has been in the past. I get to travel quite a bit around the world and I visit other countries and usually get to go to the hospital there or a pharmacy and take a look at their labeling and their packaging. And I think we really have about the best in the world. Our FDA has really responded. They've invested a lot into it personnel-wise. They have 30 people or so in the Division of Medication or Prevention and Analysis. We interact with them on a regular basis. They read our material and they really had an impact on improving labeling, packaging, drug nomenclature, et cetera. We just don't get the same problems reported. Aside from that, I mean, in the practice area, we do these hospital medication safety self-assessments. We've done them three times. I think our first one was in 2000. And we just recently had a publication in the Joint Commission Journal of Quality and Safety published the results of our 2011 survey. And the results are just amazing. Let me just read a couple of them. Back in 2000, 18% of the hospitals said they maintained a list of prohibited error-prone abbreviations. Today, it's 91%. 
uh, requiring a complete new set of orders when a patient is transferred from 27% to 82%. This is about 1,500 hospitals responding, not accepting verbal orders for oral or parenteral chemotherapy from 50% to 75%. So a pretty, pretty big improvement. And then the area of patient education, educating patients about their identification when they're hospitalized, how it should be done, 47% in 2000. 93% today. There's other areas too. I hope people will take the time to read this because they really need to congratulate themselves. But another area with quality processes and risk management, surveying practitioners periodically to assess culture. 9% did that in 2000. 84% of hospitals do it today. So really dramatic improvement in so many areas. I'm very mm-hmm. happy to see that. Sure. Well, and I think the things you're talking about are in fact important. They show how systems have been changed, how processes have been changed. But what about outcomes, Mike? Is there anything that can be said about the rate of medication errors and how that has changed over the past 20 years or so? Well, you can look at that in different ways. It's really difficult to pool data nationwide. Probably the most accurate types of studies have been the direct observation studies that some hospitals do. I don't know that it's pooled and made available on a national level. So it's really hard to tell. However, our focus has always been on the things that are um, serious, but maybe not even so serious, but could be serious and that are actionable, things that you could do something about. And there's where I think we've made biggest improvements. So I do think patients are safer today. Yeah. Mike, in your 2002 Harvey A.K. Whitney lecture, you said that the goal of never harming a patient with a medical error is unattainable unless there is greater shared accountability for patient safety among all the key stakeholders. Now, that lecture was 12 years ago, so I'd like to ask if you think we've made progress toward shared accountability. I think we could do better, but I do think we have made some progress. Certainly, outside of our hospitals, getting industry involved and the FDA and regulators like the Joint Commission and even the state boards, they're more focused on safety than they have been. And that's really what I meant by shared accountability. But in addition to that, I also meant, you know, how administrators look at it, the CEOs and others in senior leadership, and how nursing and pharmacy interact with one another, et cetera. This overall focus on safety has helped that quite a bit, certainly more CEOs are cognizant of the fact that safety is a major issue. Our CMS has focused in this area and brought more attention to it. As I said earlier, so has the Joint Commission. I do think it's improved, but again, really hard to measure unless uh, it's something that you look at specifically. You had sort of divided this issue up in your lecture among different categories of stakeholders. Is there any category today that causes you particular concern, maybe having uh, from your observations, more room for progress than others? Yeah, I'd like to comment on that, actually. I've been disappointed overall by, uh, you know, some people may not agree, but once a patient leaves the hospital, ambulatory care, almost all the focus that I've seen over the years has been in acute care, Mm -hmm. maybe long-term care as well, but very little at the community pharmacy level or doctor office level. We're starting to see some of it in the ambulatory surgical centers and some other uh, freestanding facilities. But I still think we have a long way to go in, in community practice. Many pharmacists tell us they're extremely busy, they're interrupted constantly, they don't have time to do the patient education. We definitely could do a lot better, and we've actually come up with some tools for that as well. 
and so I think more focus has to be in the area of community practice. What role do you see, if any, for state boards of pharmacy in that regard? That is something that's important. And, you know, again, it depends a lot on the makeup of the boards. So many of them are represented by pharmacists that work in the area of community practice and may not have the expertise or the level of understanding of the culture changes that are needed. I do think a lot more focus, starting with culture issues, should be made by the boards of pharmacy. Uh, There's still too much that we hear about where disciplinary action is taken against pharmacists for errors, and then nothing else is done. I mean, we've had serious issues occur at a pharmacy. The pharmacist gets blamed, can even lose their license, or as we've seen, wind up in jail. And the same issues could be occurring elsewhere in that state, and there's not even a communication about what originally happened and what the expectations are and a statement that surveyors will be in to make sure you've made these changes. So I think really a lot... A lot more needs to be done, and there's a lot of learning that could be had from what we are doing in acute care. We're not perfect either, but I really believe we've made great advances in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Well, and part of the work of ISMP is focused specifically on community pharmacy. Are you seeing any trends in terms of uptake of your advice and your guidance in this sector of practice? Unfortunately, it's been minimal. You know, so much of community pharmacy is large chain operations. And for example, we've developed tools to help educate patients, checklists for high alert drugs in a project that was funded by AHRQ. There are a number of drugs, uh, I think 12 altogether that we've done this for, that absolutely should be used by community pharmacists. You don't leave a patient, walk out of the pharmacy with prescription for fentanyl patches without going through this checklist for safety. Too many people are injured with that drug and others. And then we have other tools, too, that even software that was designed as part of that HRQ project to allow pharmacists to detect the probability of error and then plug in our prevention strategies, uh, you know, at various types of prevention strategies to show what improvement they may expect based on their experience, the number of prescriptions that they fill, their staffing, their uh, present practices, et cetera. All that is built into the software. And it's free, and unfortunately, it's not being as widely used as we meant it to be. You know, there are tools out there. We have a failure mode and effects analysis tool. We have a uh, root cause analysis tool for community practitioners that we're currently working on in cooperation with NAPP. That should be available very, very shortly. So I hope people will take advantage of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, as you point out, when we think of the community pharmacy sector, it's really dominated by a few of the large chain drugstore corporations. Have you had conversations with the executive leaders of those corporations about this issue? And if so, what kind of response do you get from them? Not a good one. You know, for example, we had a real concern about a year ago, I guess, uh, One of the chains came out with a marketing campaign, which was widely advertised. It basically said, uh, we'll fill three prescriptions in 15 minutes, or we'll give you a coupon for, uh, you know, so many dollars. We did call the uh, leadership of that chain and did not get a good reception, unfortunately. And that did go on for a while. Finally, I think they got so many complaints about it that uh, they did give up on it. And we've seen other things as well that we've commented on. One of them had a billboard that said, nothing more than get in slash get out and the name of the pharmacy. You know, that's just a terrible message to send to patients. That uh, It just says talking with a pharmacist is not important. It's all about speed. We get concerned about that. Now, in that second case there, I have to say that it wasn't long that uh, we saw the disappearance of that particular billboard and it hasn't come back. 
we haven't always gotten the greatest reception because I think we are somewhat critical at times of the way things have been going in community. I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. I hope not. Yeah. Well, I have to say, though, that there are some chains that have shown us that they're very serious about safety. Uh, and they've developed a whole departments, for example, that look at this and review the errors that get reported. I think they could do more, all of them, as far as being proactive, uh, learning from the experiences of others, and uh, rather than waiting for what happens in their own pharmacies to react. I think a lot of errors could be prevented if they were more proactive. Yeah. Mike, in drawing our conversation to a close, what do you see as the future of ISMP? And comment a bit perhaps on your own role in the Institute in the coming years. Yeah, it's a good question, especially around now. Past month was our 20th anniversary. We certainly hope to be here in another 20 years. There's really no other organization that's doing this type of work that's so focused on preventing errors. And I think overall, our staff really has had a, a big impact. So we do need to be there. Personally, um, I'm going to stick around as long as I can. I, I love doing this work, and I don't see any reason to quit at this point. I work with some really phenomenal people here, and you know, it's very much like family. When people come here to visit us, I think they see that. I think we'll grow in some other areas. You know, over the past couple of years, we've uh, spent a lot more time in adverse drug reaction prevention. We've uh, got some expertise in that area. And we've done our quarter watch reports now for uh, three or four years where we look at the data that comes into the adverse event reporting system of, at FDA. And uh, we've had some real wins on that, by the way, uh, things that uh, weren't brought to light before uh, we were able to do that. So that's a big area for us. We also recently acquired the Medication Safety Officer Society. I mm -hmm. think that's going to be an area of growth for us as more and more people are seeing that as a career option and a very important one. So uh, we're going to get a, a growing number of folks that are going to be interested in that. We don't charge for membership, by the way. So anybody that's mm -hmm. interested or works in that area full time is uh, welcome. Ours aren't going to go away. Uh, we've certainly developed technologies that are helping, and no question about that. But uh, unfortunately, I haven't seen them go away yet, and we're still seeing new ways to make ours. I think there's still going to be a role for ISMP in the future. Sure. Well, Mike, congratulations on the 20th anniversary of ISMP. That is an important milestone, and congratulations to you personally for Again, this long record of achievement that you've had, uh, and now, as you're saying, I hope to have in the future. That's, that's wonderful. Mike, thanks so much for taking time for this conversation. Well, thank you very much for doing it, Bill. Thank you. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org.